It's like a bit of seasoning in your favorite dish. Without it, it's just a bland pile of talking heads nodding in synchrony. If there's a bit too much, then you're choking on the pepper or making that face because the food is too salty. But when it's just right, it makes the whole thing more interesting. Disagree? Well, see, then that's interesting. One of the best things about disagreement is when it is not in the context of fandoms. If you think about it, everything is at base just fandoms. Politics, wars, brands, religions. If the past several months of my life have shown me anything, it's that sacred cows aren't just for faiths, and that fandoms would rather have echo chambers than open forums, particularly where there are jokes involved. That said, on this episode of Magecast, we're tackling a divisive entry, but from two different perspectives, as my guest and I disagree, dare I say, in a healthy manner, in a welcome and conversational manner, on a few issues, our perspectives on squall, on a few theories, you'll hear disagreement without divisiveness, unity without unanimity, and no butt-hurt feelings. Phew. My guest is Matt, a.k.a. Burkhoff, writer, blogger, and podcaster, and this is indeed the lost Final Fantasy VIII episode, so sit back, strap on your favorite GF, and let's remember that we're talking in depth about Final Fantasy here, folks, specifically 6 through 10, so there be spoilers ahead. It's a mage cast. Whatever. Well, welcome, folks. We're taking you to school on this episode. I am sitting down with my special guest, Matt, a.k.a. was it Burkhoff? Burko? It's Burkhoff, yes. Burkhoff. You know what? I have a confession to make then. In my head, since I met you, <laughs> I've been pronouncing it as Burko. Okay. Everyone <laughs> does. Everyone does? Okay. Every, yeah, everyone does. I do have a story behind the name. I, I, I was going to ask you that. Go ahead. All right, so are you familiar with uh, the TV show La Femme Nikita? No. It was on USA Network in the mid-90s, um, 94, 95, I believe. Um, so La Femme Nikita is about um, this girl who becomes an assassin. She joins like a secret organization. Um, anyway, the computer guy that's in the organization, his name is Seymour Burkhoff. But it's spelled B-I-R-K-O-F-F. And um, I was watching the show, and there's actually one episode where um, he's talking to Nikita, and she's shutting down um, these planes that are about to crash into each other. Um, and he tells her to use a real Unix command to kill the process that is like the, the virus that's running in the background or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I co-opted the name uh, and then changed the spelling for myself. And that's I've just been using it ever since. Nice. So how old is, is that name then? Um, well, 94, 95. Like I was using it from like the beginning of the internet. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's cool. I've, uh, I've long since abandoned some of my older... Uh, Names that I had, you know, from high school and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, my first AOL email and some of those, <laughs> <laughs> some of those don't age too well. No. Know? But, uh, well, cool. Glad to have you on the episode. Yeah. And, thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, dude. And, uh, I'm, again, I'm sorry that it's, 
It's been so long. You are the number one guest that I have had to that I've asked to reschedule with. So I beg your pardon. Um, <laughs> but thanks for uh, thanks for making the time uh, here on a Friday night to chat with me. Absolutely. You're, you're also the uh, optimistically sentimental alabaster mage. This uh, is true. You've written some really great uh, material on the well-read mage, so I'm going to drop some links to that in the podcast description that you can check out, folks. But the optimistically sentimental alabaster mage is also officially the number one longest mage <laughs> name <laughs> out of like 60 mages, 67 mages. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've, you've increased the, uh, the mage stable for <laughs> quite a bit since I originally emailed you and asked you if I could write for the site, which yeah. I need to get back to. I need to, um, I need to put some stuff together and, and actually get something because it's been like two years, I think, since the last article I wrote. It's My crazy. goodness. I just feel like I started this site like a year ago. Right. Oh, yeah. what, what happened to two years? I have no idea, man. That's it's crazy. Yeah. Well, speaking of writing, so you, you recently, you were telling me you just started, uh, you just started up a site again? Yeah. So I had uh, com many, many years ago. And it was a blog that I kept. Um, and it's like something that I shared with, um, with friends and, uh, it never really went anywhere, but I did get some traction of like people in New Zealand and the Philippines and, mm. you know, like reading my stuff. And, um, anyway, I lost interest in it and, uh, decided that I need to resurrect that. Um, but instead of me just rambling on, uh, you know, endlessly, I was going to actually take the time and try to, to do some, some focused fiction. Um, so I'm trying to focus on some short stories and things, and that's what uh, com is going to be sort of going forward in the future. That's awesome. Uh, so any tidbits on those short stories? What's what kind? Right now I have two short stories posted that uh, stuff that I've worked out over the years uh, Two the, two of my favorite stories that I've written one is set in my own sort of sci-fi universe that I've created. Um, and the other is an alternative history fiction uh, about Paul Revere. Nice. That's great. And so uh, you also do some podcasting too, I understand. I do. Yeah, I have uh, two podcasts that I do. Uh, one is called The Beer Umverate, which is um, it was an offshoot of podcast reload, which was a community podcast for sifted.net, uh, which mm -hmm. is another website that I've, uh, associated with. And, um, they had me on a few different times as a guest and we, um, I ended up connecting with a couple other people in the community and we decided that, uh, we were going to make, um, an offshoot podcast cause podcast reload, um, effectively stopped uh, recording. So we wanted to do the continuation of that. It's basically just a podcast that we do every week where we get together, we have a few beers, talk about video games, and we try to have uh, community members from Sifted on the show um, to just talk about you know uh, whatever is poignant at the time. Mm. Great. And you can find those on uh, – you're hosting those on YouTube, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I forgot to mention the uh, the second podcast is uh, Corner Comics. So I have a comic book podcast, uh, which is with myself and two uh, really good friends of mine that I've known for 
over a couple of decades now. Um, and yeah, both of those are on my, my YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Burkhoff, uh, B E R K O U G H. Right on. And yeah, there'll definitely be links to those as well, folks in the podcast description. Uh, so you're a busy guy, Matt, <laughs> <laughs> you do, you're doing quite a lot. Do you have time to play some games right now? Is there anything you're playing currently? Um, I just recently got into fantasy star online too. Okay. And uh, been playing a little bit of Warzone here and there when I can find some friends online, and uh, the Outer Worlds. So I just bought a Xbox One S and got Games Pass, and um, I saw that game on there. That was one of the games that I've I've been wanting to pick up for a really long time, and uh, since it's on Game Pass, I figured why not? I'll just download it and try it out. Boom! There you go, man. So you not only juggle. Dual podcasts, multiple writing uh, opportunities, and also multiple games. That is admirable. Nice. <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, what about um, Final Fantasy VII Remake? you going to be picking that up? I want to. Um, we actually did a whole episode of the Beer on Vrit, um talking about the demo. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know quite how I feel about it. Um but I have a lot of friends that are um, that have already downloaded it and uh, are playing it, so I'll probably jump on that bandwagon just so that I can talk about the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the fact that it's only Midgar, though. I I feel like even if it's going to take thirty hours to get out of Midgar, mm-hmm. um, I'm still gonna want to to roam that 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 world map. Right that that was the right. huge moment in the game. It's like you spend six to ten hours, depending on how fast you play. Yeah, uh, and then you hit that open world, and it the game just completely changes from there. Right, and so that, it's it's weird to be confined. Yeah, there's a shift in tone and the realization of that that world map for the first time. I do remember that feeling of almost like a kind of relief, like man, I'm not stuck in this drudge hole anymore. Uh, And then you hear some music for the first time. uh, And that is a feeling that cannot be recaptured in the remake by nature of its, or by virtue of its nature, uh, by nature of its virtue. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I think it wouldn't be so bad if we didn't know for sure, like how, how long until the next episode or however they're handling this. Um, but I think that when we go back and think about the original Final Fantasy VII, you're right. There are all these feelings and emotions tied to it that aren't exclusive to Midgar, that aren't even necessarily even a part of Midgar, that are part of getting outside of Midgar. So making it a game that's kind of truncated emotionally and is missing some of those things of getting out, uh, it will be a, a definitely a different experience. And that's how I'm trying to approach it. My copy came in uh, today, Friday, so I'm going to be playing it for the first time tonight. I'm excited, but uh, I'm approaching it as it's a new game, and it's it's uh, like a like a friend of mine was saying, it's a reimagining, not even necessarily a, a remake, unless you're thinking remake from the ground up. You know? Yeah, um, I've been playing Fire Emblem Three Heroes in sort of the lead up to Final Fantasy VII remake. Mm-hmm. And I, it's kind of funny. I, 
sitting there playing that game, um, it's like, wow, this is this kind of reminds me of uh, the way I felt playing old old school RPGs, mm. and just sort of trying to prepare my mind for uh, what Final Fantasy VII Remake is actually going to be. Um, and I don't think that I've reconciled that yet. So yeah. I, I don't even know if I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish you the best when it happens. It'll, it'll definitely be an experience. I'm not sure what my final take will be, but, um, hopefully you can get a hold of the game soon. I know, uh, some folks have, have, uh, had some unfortunate, unlucky incidents with delayed orders and yeah. orders that are lost and all kinds of craziness. But uh, tonight, we're not going to talk about Final Fantasy VII. Uh, we'll try not to, at least. Uh, but we're going to talk about Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, this is episode 47, The Lion, the Witch, and the War School. Final Fantasy VIII was released in 1999 by Squaresoft for PS1. And by the way, folks, spoilers. I am sorry I've gained some kind of reputation online for being a person that's spoiler happy. I'm not spoiler happy, uh, but I think it's kind of ridiculous if you're going to suggest I can't, I can't spoil like the ending to Homer's Iliad. But at the same time, uh, this is a podcast where we're going to talk in depth about Final Fantasy VIII. So if you have not played Final Fantasy VIII 1, and if you would like to play Final Fantasy VIII 2, and if you're concerned about the story being spoiled 3, then Probably I recommend listening to a different episode at this point in time. And then after you play, come back and listen to this episode because I know it's going to be great because Matt is awesome. But <laughs> until then, oh, you're welcome. Until then, uh, well, there you go. So if you're listening at this point, you don't care about spoilers or you've played the game. Let's talk about some major facts here at the beginning. Uh, this is the third best-selling mainline Final Fantasy game, which I actually found surprising. Uh, but on story mode, the other podcast that I'm a part of, uh, we talked about some of the, uh, incredible financial information, the sales numbers that final fantasy as a series has pulled in, uh, more than it's pulled in, uh, more sales than all of squares, other RPG series combined. So wow. yeah, it's, uh, it's the. I think this was an article from IGN, but it is the biggest uh, RPG series in history. Uh, not just the numerical titles, but obviously there's all these spinoffs. Together they've sold a ton. But the third best-selling mainline Final Fantasy is Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, there was a recent remaster of the original game uh, that was released with a handful of upgrades, typically visual ones. Uh, I do personally recommend it since it's a re-release of an otherwise otherwise uh, fairly rare game. But uh, have you played that remaster yourself? I have not. Um, I do have the the Steam version that came out before that, which was a, a re-release of the original PC version. Mm -hmm. um, so I, yeah, I was reluctant to get the remaster just because I've already. I've bought Final Fantasy VIII and Final Fantasy VII so many different times. Like <laughs> yeah. I've I've got the discs sitting in in the front room. I've got uh, I've got it on Steam. I've bought it on my PS3 for the PS1 classics. Like mm -hmm. I, I've bought this game so many times. It's hard for me to to, to buy it again. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely fair. Um, I uh, I have the original, 
still I don't have it on Steam or or PS3 or anything like that. So I was excited to play this one, and it's got you know the things like the fast forward feature and stuff like that. Um, helps you get through it a little faster. Yeah. But uh, it's pretty. It's a nice little um, touch up of the original. Uh, I could have wished that there were a couple things um, that they decided to fix or add. One thing that I was really hoping for was making that uh, that Chocobo game accessible um, from the little handheld. Oh, thing the pocket was, station. Yeah, so that was Japan only. So that's not in the remaster. I thought that it was supposed to be. No, uh, so far as I know, but you could still get the rewards for it or something okay. like that. So you just can't play that that game at all uh you could still do the chocobo hide and seek thing uh, that's weird i i remember looking at um psm so not the official playstation magazine but the the other one that had the comic book covers uh-huh i don't know if you remember that magazine from back in the day uh it's all a blur <laughs> okay <laughs> so so psm or playstation magazine um was i don't know it was my favorite playstation magazine back in the day but i remember seeing um i want to say that uh so this came out in what 99 99 yeah it had to have been shortly after metal gear solid came out in 98 uh they were already talking about how the next two final fantasy games were in production Mm -hmm. and they were showing previews of eight and they had pictures of the pocket station and I remember thinking, like, how cool is that? I can plug this thing into my memory <laughs> card slot, save my game, and then take it on the bus with me to school the next day. And it's like I, what the Switch is now. Right. right? It, like, but yeah. it never it never happened. No. It, we never got it in the States. No. Uh, I would have loved to even just play around with the little, what was it called, Chocobo World um, yeah. on yeah. Pocket Station. And I was really disappointed that that wasn't added to this because eh, you're never going to play it. So, right. Uh, but you have a, uh, a mage fact here, uh, that you, that you wrote down. Yeah. I, I thought it would be interesting to share this. Um, we normally think of IDOS and square as being one company these days. Um, mainly because square is publishing all of IDOS's properties. So mm-hmm. Deus Ex, Tomb Raider, uh, all those games are all IDOS properties from back in the day. Um, they used to be separate companies, but when they were separate companies in the 90s, IDOS was handling all of the PC ports. So they did the PC port of Final Fantasy VII and of Final Fantasy VIII um, to mm. Windows. See, I haven't played either of those PC ports. I don't really play games on, on PC at all. Um, I've always understood that there's kind of there's there are some meaningful differences, maybe not so meaningful between the the console version and the PC port they are brilliantly flawed i would say um, um that's an elegant way to phrase it yeah cuz the the resolution's a little bit higher i think the graphics look better mm-hmm. on the PC on the original PC versions but the um the music is notoriously um damaged whatever um however they they encoded it or all that the the midi doesn't even quite come through uh properly on those ports so ah uh, uh, and that's a shame with uematsu's work but yeah uh, if you could play it at least you could play it if you had a pc and no ps1 right uh, and here's our final mage fact historically final fantasy 8 has been a divisive entry among fans with a love it or hate it impression towards it see also every other final fantasy 
<laughs> because <laughs> arguing about Final Fantasy seems like the predominant trait of the Final Fantasy fandom. Uh and it's delicious at at some points. Um, I've been accused of enjoying arguing, and there's an <laughs> element of me, sure, that that loves arguing. But what I really like is an exchange of uh, disagreeing ideas. That's the core of it. I don't like the the name calling or the shouting and, and like shouting matches and altercations and confrontations. I, I dislike. They're not but, productive. No, they're not. Um, yeah. But. I will talk to you all day about why I think Final Fantasy VI is this and why I think Final Fantasy IX is that and, and on and on and on. Um, heck, I'm still trying to get more engagement based off of Tifa versus Aerith, so it's in my blood. We'll just say <laughs> that. But here, let's move on to our personal impressions. So one thing that I kind of want to phrase this through is... Uh, it seems to be that there's there's been a, a, a change, a flux in how Final Fantasy VIII is remembered versus how it was originally received. Um, and maybe uh, that seems true for you uh, from your perspective. And maybe you could talk about what your reception was like when you first played it. And maybe if you know about anybody who played it then too and sort of what the, the buzz was then, and then we can start to talk about uh, maybe how things have started to change. Yeah. So um, I feel like at the time uh, it was just the next entry in the final fantasy series. And because seven was as large as it was. And, and so um, uh, influential, mm-hmm. I think everybody sort of agreed that, you know, this was going to be a good game. It, it's going to have the same type of polish and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, back in the day, I went into it with uh, this is the next Final Fantasy entry, and I'm going to love this game. And um, at the time, I had just, or I was in the process of moving. So, uh, my family moved from New York State uh, to California. Mm-hmm. And we stopped off in Iowa because uh, my that was where my grandmother was living at the time, and she wasn't doing so well. Um, so we stayed there for a year. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends because um, we were only there for a year. Uh, it was you know, I think my I want to say it was my eighth grade or or freshman year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Final Fantasy VIII really spoke to me. Um, in that I, I connected with the character of Squall. I was this reserved, uh, in my head, uh, young teen because I had no other choice. Um, and so I think at the time, like it was super influential and uh, meaningful to me personally, Mm -hmm. just based on what I was going through. Um, today, it's kind of a tedious game, um, but I still look back in fondness on the character of Squall and, and see parts of myself in him. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so you touched on a couple of things that are really interesting that I think we'll, we'll unpack um, as we get through uh, some of this. I remember, so again, it's, it's hard to talk about 8 without mentioning 7. Yeah. Which, without mentioning kind of its bookends too, and 9 as well. Yeah. Um, but I so uh, I remember when when seven hit, 
Seven was everywhere. People were talking about it in my schoolyard. Like everybody had played this game. Right. Um, so like you said, of course, when they announce eight, everybody's getting eight. Definitely. Uh, a couple kids I knew were like a little skeptical because there's a difference in what seems to be maybe you could call it cartoonishness in seven versus uh, a more of a dedication to realism in eight. Uh, and that can be seen just in the differences between its graphics, uh, the way the characters are, are modeled for the, the player and, uh, and, and a variety of other things as well. But, I remember when when eight came out. So when seven came out, the buzz was off the charts. When eight came out, there were a lot of kids that had picked it up, myself included. Um, but there was there. It seemed like there was a more mixed reaction, and that mixed reaction dominated my perception of what general audiences how they received eight for years. Uh, until recently, when I've started to get involved with general audiences on social media, I've actually found that there, it seems like a lot of people have given 8 a chance again, have sort of reevaluated it over the process of a couple years. Uh, and it seems to me like the pendulum is swinging from much more of a mixed reception to much more of a positive reception. Um, that might be just because of the nature of social media and how it connects more people than ever. Right. Uh, but that's the that seems to be the perception that I'm having right now. Um, I would say that we've, and I say we, um, fans of Final Fantasy VIII have always existed sort of in the shadows um, and we're getting older and we don't care what people think of our opinions anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I, I think that's what it is. I think people are just getting to the point where like, yeah, I remember this game and it was fun and I like it. And Hey, there's other people that have the same opinion that I do. I don't necessarily think that it's, um, that there's a, a shift in the perception of the game mm -hmm. because, um, I think as we'll get into, you know, some of the characters and specifically the mechanics of the game, um, the, there there are some uh some deep flaws that are in this game and um you could always make an argument that it's it's not as good as um some of us espouse mm -hmm. well and i i do want to pick up on something there which is a theme that that's been on ongoing through this show uh that there is uh that we can compartmentalize um what you said about a game having actual flaws from our love for it so People, and I, I try to say this as frequently as possible, people can love any game. People can love Final Fantasy VIII, and they should, and especially if there's personal reasons involved, uh, such as the personal reason that you mentioned of identifying with Squall, and I think that's one of the strong things about this game is that there are so many people that identify very specifically uh, with Squall in a unique way in this franchise. Uh and so it's perfectly valid to, to love this game for that reason. It's also perfectly valid to say that a game uh, that you love for personal reasons also has things that uh, are critiquable, if that's a word. <laughs> <laughs> Can be critiqued. Can be critiqued. There we go. Yeah. I knew you were going to save me from looking like an idiot. So I'll try. You. I'll Thanks. try. I don't know. It's <laughs> no a hard promises. job. Yeah. It's a <laughs> 
Um, okay, so here's here's a question from Retro Game Brews, and this starts to unpack uh, what we were saying about comparisons with Seven. Uh, his question is: My theory is that Final Fantasy VIII would be held in higher regard if it wasn't called a Final Fantasy game, especially one to follow up Final Fantasy VII. Thoughts? So, a question about is the way in which people view eight. Uh, primarily affected by the presence of seven ahead of it. Yeah. I mean, we touched on that and I agree. Um, I, okay. So just to break down his question, um, would it be held in higher regard if it wasn't called a final fantasy game? Um, no, I think it would have fallen into the depths of obscurity if it wasn't a final fantasy game. Cause there's a, there were a lot of square JRPGs and not oh. even just square, but there were tons on, on PS one, PS one, PS two. I mean, yeah. uh, super Nintendo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How many people have played saga unlimited? Yeah. I don't even know what that is. Okay. So <laughs> you're going to have that. to look it up after this, but um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Or like romancing saga has just now gained a foothold in, uh, in the States or in the Western world with the remakes that they're doing. Mm. Um, I didn't play any of those games back in the day. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think this game would be total obscurity, uh, if it weren't for the final fantasy moniker. Yeah. There's an argument to be made that, that final fan, again, it's, it's the bit, it's the best selling, the biggest RPG series in history. Um, so there's some some clout, some reputation there, with uh, with it having the Final Fantasy title. I suppose the counter argument is that there's a level of expectation that comes with a game being a Final Fantasy. Yeah. Uh, but one of the beautiful things about the Final Fantasy franchise, and there's a question that kind of brings us up here later, uh, is Final Fantasy gets to reinvent itself. And as great as Seven was, in my perspective. I do. I wouldn't want Square to just remake Final Fantasy VII under a different banner with different characters over and over and over again. I like that they get to ex experiment and play around with new ideas and things like that, even if those experiments aren't my favorite Final Fantasies or Final Fantasies that rub me the wrong way. I think right. that it's great that this series has that capability to not be tied to prequels and be allowed to experiment yeah i agree now what was your first final fantasy my first final fantasy was probably four i so my friend uh had six or he had just gotten three uh for the super nintendo uh, so i, I want to say what happened was it was i it was me and i had two friends that were mm -hmm. really big into this stuff uh like D D and all that kind of stuff right mm -hmm. um and i think my one friend dug his nintendo out of the the garage and uh we were all playing final fantasy one um in the lead up to three being released okay. um but my first Final Fantasy that was sort of my own Final Fantasy was four because mm -hmm. um, my friends were showing me these games. And then I went to the local uh, not Blockbuster, but whatever the video rental place was that was, you know, next to the pizzeria mm -hmm. um, and they had four 
and I remember renting four, thinking that it was the game that my friend had just got, which was three. Uh, um, <laughs> those pesky numbers, especially yeah. in North America. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it, well, yeah, it would have been Final Fantasy two for the Super Nintendo. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, so that was my first experience with, with a final fantasy game. Hmm. Uh, and then obviously six or three and then seven and so on. Yeah. There's a lot of folks that have attempted to, uh, suggest that our impressions of, of final fantasy as a series and our favorite final fantasy is really based on which final fantasy was started with first. Right. Um, but I, I I think that Final Fantasy four it was also my first. Um, I definitely don't remember playing one, uh, and I for sure didn't play two um, or Japanese three. Definitely. Um, okay. So I'm pretty sure it was four. And what a great one to start off with too. Yeah, I remember there still being a uh, a save game that was at the very end of the game on <laughs> on that cartridge. Um, uh-huh. I remember playing for several hours, like the weekend that I got it, uh, and then being like, "I'm never gonna get anywhere in this. Let me just load up the final save, and then just getting my ass handed to me <laughs> there you go, on the man. final boss." Yeah, yeah, uh, that was a fun thing about the rentals, where you could sometimes get like a a magic warp tunnel to the end of the game. Right. <laughs> Super cool. So kind of uh, in tandem with Retro Game Brew's question, uh, One Winged Mage asked, if Final Fantasy VII hadn't preceded it, do you think Final Fantasy VIII would have had a much stronger impact in the gaming world as the first 3D entry in the Final Fantasy series? Would we be looking forward to a Final Fantasy VIII remake instead right now? So kind of the same question, um, but still slightly a little different. So let's say... 8 was 7, and it was the first one on the PS1, and it was the first 3D Final Fantasy, and you know the, the preceding one was Final Fantasy 6. Do you think that this Final Fantasy 7, secretly 8, would have had the same mass appeal uh, and would have been just as much a system seller as 7? That's a tough question. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to say yes, um, just because, and it's hard to take it away. Like we said before, and we'll probably keep mentioning uh, throughout this episode. Like in in context, it it did follow seven, and I remember thinking like, wow, they finally have the characters proportioned properly, right? <laughs> um, and so like seeing that, and then uh, thinking about eight in the context of uh, some of the other big name games, like. Tomb Raider or Metal Gear Solid or, you know, games like that. Um, maybe. I think if it had come out at the same time as seven, um, mm-hmm. you know, two years earlier, then yes. But if it came out in the same time that it did, which preceded Metal Gear Solid, probably not. That is a brilliantly nuanced answer. <laughs> I just want you to know that's good. That's Thanks. good. That's not just like a yes, no. Uh, I so I want to tend to lean toward no on this instance that that eight would not have had um, as much of an impact uh, and wouldn't have sold as much as seven if it was seven. And the reason for that is it comes down to one character. Um, and that is the character that you specifically identified as relating with uh, uniquely. 
So earlier I stated that um, I think Squall is one of the major reasons why people uh, love Final Fantasy VIII. I don't think right. I usually like hear people say, I love Final Fantasy VIII for the draw system. I love Final Fantasy VIII <laughs> for the GF system. Like Nobody really says that. But almost, in, almost like I'm trying to think of any instance where somebody has said otherwise, and somebody listening might be able to say otherwise. But um, typically it seems like people love VIII because uh, Squall resonates so strongly with them. But I think that because... Squall is so specific of a character that explains why he resonates so strongly, but it also explains why he doesn't resonate so strongly with other kinds of people. So for me, that's that's one specific example. Uh, and it's great that you and I can discuss this in a purely safe, non-hostile environment. <laughs> <laughs> because again, Final Fantasy fans love to argue. Uh, but for me, Squall does almost nothing. Um, I find a lot of his personality grating at best. But that's because I everybody has a different kind of personality, right? So Squall, I think, has uh, is the kind of character that can either resonate very strongly or not at all. Um, whereas I think Cloud is more of like the, the typical like Western action hero, um, where you know the he's 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 got sort of like a swagger to him, he's He's a brag. He's coldish. He's standoffish, but he yeah. looks he looks great. You know, he's got that giant sword and stuff like that. And Squall is much more nuanced of a character because you get to see into his thoughts. Yeah, one. It, well, I think that's the major difference. I think that they're actually more similar than you would think. Mm -hmm. um, they both uh, suffer from amnesia. They both. Um, are quiet brooding characters at mm -hmm. the beginning. Um, but yeah, Squall has that insight. You get to hear his, his thoughts, even if you don't necessarily agree with that dialogue. Um, right. It's a, it's a unique insight that you don't really get in, um, in a lot of other games. So, yeah. And I think it's one of the strengths of his character. Yeah. Uh, and I, I say that even though he's not my favorite character, uh, I think that the fact that you get all of this extra layer of character from getting to see his inner his inner dialogue or inner monologue, I guess <laughs> his inner monologue is something that makes that character that much more specific. Um, and I wonder what we would be able to see if you know we got to see Cloud's inner monologue, like while while Barrett's talking about saving the planet, and Cloud's just like, "Why well, is this guy gonna shut up?" But <laughs> But with, with Squall, we get to see a lot of his own self-doubts, um, a lot of his... You know, I, earlier I said that we get to see uh, the in, the mind of Squall. We also get to see like literally the mind of Cloud because we go into his mind at one point. Yeah. Uh, but not the same thing as a as a storytelling uh, mechanic. So Yeah, well, getting, touching on the, the remake aspect of the question, um, I would say that I... I personally would not be able to play an FF eight remake. There is no way that I could sit through all of the voice acting. Um, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And I know we're going to touch on characters in, in a little bit, but um, yeah, some of, some of the characters that make up the cast in this game, there is no way that you could find. I don't, I don't care if you have the best voice actors in, in, in the entire world. 
there's no way that you can make the characters appealing in a vocal sense. It only works because it's text. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've heard Selfie's voice in my nightmares. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> she was uh, on my mind. Take, uh, yeah. Yeah. It would take a pretty talented cast to bring, uh, to bring this cast of characters to life. That's for sure. But I, I do think that, yeah, not all games can or should be remade. And there's actually um, an editorial that I wrote a little while ago, too, that I think seven is one that really benefits from a remake because, again, it's. I mean, its visuals originally are just so laughable. Uh, my wife did not play it back in the day. She didn't play RPGs at all back in the day. So yeah. together we've played four, six, nine, and then we chose to play seven. Uh, and when Cloud jumped off the train at the start of the game, she literally burst out laughing. She'd never <laughs> seen him before. And, and she was like, are you kidding me? She says, are you kidding me? And uh, I had to pause the game and be like, okay. So you just have to know the, the context. This is the first right. 3D Final Fantasy. 3D was in its infancy on consoles and on and on and on. That's, uh, that's hilarious. To, to go on a little bit of an aside, um, so my wife and I do play games together, but uh, she will not sit down and play uh, GRPGs with me. Uh -huh. She can't stand the turn-based combat. She's very much a, a more of an action combat person. Okay. Um, like For context, she uh, really likes the Devil May Cry series. Mm. Um, so she has fun with those types of games. And, um, interestingly enough, I think the only way that I can get her to play seven is to, is to buy the remake because it yeah. has an action combat system. Yeah. And that makes it more accessible in that, in that sense. I think there's, there's an argument that there's a large group of folks that don't like turn-based combat, uh, yeah. especially if they didn't grow up with it too. Uh, it can feel cl clumsy and, and archaic and, and even, I mean, seven's got the ATB system to help yeah. <laughs> some of like the older ones where you're just like, like breath of fire is one of my favorite, uh, series, but man, yeah, it's, it's very much, uh, you just sit there forever. solidly turn-based. Yeah. 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 Mashing buttons. Uh, next question here again, and these are kind of all in the same vein. Uh, Terrence Harkin, Final Fantasy VIII wasn't received quite as well as Final Fantasy VII. Do you think that part of this was that VII brought more eyes to the series with its cinematic presentation, and many of these newcomers were expecting a direct sequel, only to be disappointed that that VIII wasn't? Uh, I don't know yes. about that question. Yeah. That's, that's an easy yes for me. Yeah. Um, only because anecdotally speaking, I had a friend of mine that was the, um, sort of the quintessential, uh, skater boy from the Avril Lavigne <laughs> song and, um, not the type of person that I would have ever expected to pick up a JRPG, but he dug into final fantasy seven and when eight came out was like, what the hell? I don't get to follow my favorite characters. I'm not going to play this. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So. And I guess there's an argument to be made too because Seven sold so many. It was a lot of uh so many copies. It was a lot of people's first Final Fantasy. So maybe they were expecting a direct sequel. Very yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh question here from Overthinkery One. Uh he said, I always think Final Fantasy Eight and Nine, come to think of it, gets overlooked probably partly because of sitting between two recognizable entries in seven and ten. What do you wish more people knew or appreciated about eight mechanics, characters, stories, anything really? So again, kind of the 
what we've been talking about here with being recognized and how many people played it and impressions and all that. Can um, we just but, can we just say well, that well, FF eight is the black sheep? Clearly, yeah, it kind of yeah, it seems <laughs> to be. Um, almost like what two uh, seems to be. Two seems to be kind of a black sheep. I don't know any two fans. Uh, not four. Not not North American. Oh, two. the the original two. The original two, yeah. I don't well, know any original two fans. That's a that's another. Uh, you want to go down that rabbit hole? We can. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll have to do a Final Fantasy two episode someday. Right. Yeah. But uh, I for a while I was considering uh, I considered Final Fantasy eight to be the black sheet, uh, especially of the PS one trilogy. Yeah, so, for sure, definitely there. Uh, but it, he injects uh, sort of a new. Uh, layer of questioning to this what is something you wish people uh, more people knew about or appreciated uh, about eight um uh, well i guess it depends on how much you enjoy sci-fi i think eight is probably one of the most or heaviest uh it's 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 the one entry that i know of that is like heavy in sci-fi all the others always have uh, a thicker veneer of fantasy. So even though like seven is sort of steampunk and it's kind of in the future, um, it's still really rich with a fantasy feel the same with six. Um, and I would argue that it's the same with 10. Um, even though 10 does have sort of a, uh, a more sci-fi uh, aesthetic to it. Um, mm -hmm probably in part because um, the character designer for eight was also the character designer for 10. Um, it's still uh, very much a fantasy game. Uh, and eight is the, is the one game that is um, primarily uh, a, a sci-fi game for me in my head. Yeah, very much so. And I would totally agree with that. I think it wouldn't be until 13 that we'd really get a game that seemed solidly science fiction. Um, for the most part, accepting yeah. some things, but uh, eight is definitely one that pops in mind. Like if you talk about science fiction in Final Fantasy, it's it's definitely eight. It seems like most science fantasies um, post six kind of flirted with science fantasy, um, yeah. kind of like a Star Warsy uh, almost approach where there is some element of technology, but there's also sort of you know magic and wizardry and that sort of thing. Um, and it's one of the great things about the Final Fantasy series, again, that it can reinvent itself. It can be sci-fi. It can be high fantasy. It can be science fantasy. Um, it can be more realistic, too. I mean, I tend to think of Final Fantasy XV uh, as having fantasy elements and technology elements, but being kind of grounded compared to a lot of the other games. Did you play XV? Um, briefly. I, okay. I've, only, I've only put maybe... 15 or 20 hours into it. Um, I, I don't foresee myself going back to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <There> <laughs> we'll my, uh, my thoughts on uh, 15 are documented, so I won't rehash that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, moving on here, there, there's, there's uh like we mentioned earlier, there are some strong feelings from fans there. I think that is tied to squall in, a, in, in a lot of ways. But um, there's a question or a statement here that we got from Blackbird Frost that kind of encapsulates uh, 
sort of what we've been talking about and is a pretty strong statement. Uh, he said, they at least intended for it to be final at some point, but was it a good idea to drop the fantasy part? Car rental versus chocobos, spaceships versus airships. I always felt it was a bad thing. Eight went beyond machines powered by magic, Magitech, and just went full-on sci-fi. So that's, again, that's kind of what you were talking about there, too, of the, the sci-fi elements. Um, but it seems to hint at... Uh, the game being divisive among people. Um, yeah. So whereas I tend to really enjoy that aspect of it, I can see how uh, it being so far rooted in sci-fi that um, it could be a little off-putting. Um, mm. Although it does have chocobos. I will, I will point that out. <laughs> and, you know, it's not like they stuck with that too. I mean, Final Fantasy nine was, like pure fantasy. So. Yeah. I mean, a little bit of uh steampunk with the airships and stuff like that. Right. But, right. right. Uh, yeah. And you had airships since final fantasy one, you know? So like that, that sort of thing was there, but definitely. Yeah. When you hit Lindblom, you're like, this entire town is like a steampunk convention. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fun. Uh, I enjoy that about that game. Oh yeah. Yeah. I really love nine. Uh, you know, earlier I kind of admitted to you, that um, depending on the day of the week, six or seven is my favorite. Right. Nine sometimes is as well. I think nine. So if I look at the, the PS1 trilogy, I think nine is the strongest. Uh, I think seven is the most popular. And sometimes uh, I jump between seven and nine is my favorite. Um, but I think, yeah, between those eight is the black sheep. Yeah, well, yeah, I had said before we started recording. Depending on the day and my mood, if you ask me what my final, my favorite Final Fantasy game is, it's going to be any one of six, seven, eight, or nine. Um, and I agree with yeah the the sentiments that you just mentioned uh, regarding nine. It, and it's somewhat unfair to say constantly the PS One trilogy because of course there's a PS One quadrilogy. Uh, you have <laughs> Final Fantasy Tactics as well. Um, which if you don't like sci-fi, I mean, Final Fantasy Tactics is like pure pseudo historical fantasy. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, if you had asked me, um, pre, what was it? 2005 when 12 came out. Mm -hmm. So if you had asked me pre 2005, uh, whether or not Final Fantasy Tactics was really a Final Fantasy game, I would have said no. But, <laughs> but the fact that they brought Ivelisse into, uh, the main numbered entries. Uh, yeah, I have to concede now that yes, it is part of, uh, the yeah. quadrilogy, I guess you would say. Yeah. And it's interesting because it wasn't a numbered entry. Uh, it could have been, but definitely then it's, it's gameplay genre would have been off putting for sure. I mean, imagine if tactics was eight and you had people who played seven, they're like, all right, Final Fantasy eight. And then like one battle takes an hour. Oh my God. Yeah. I remember my friend playing tactics. I couldn't ever really get into it. It wasn't until, um, I got much older, mm -hmm. um, and was able to appreciate, uh, ogre battle uh, or tactics ogre mm -hmm. and, and see how tactics ogre evolved into final fantasy tactics. Yeah. Now, again, depending on the day of the week, uh, tactics will be my favorite final fantasy. But if we're just talking numeric entries, um, then, then yeah, six or seven or sometimes nine. 
Okay. Uh, it's almost like the vowels. You know, right. or sometimes why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but I I love tactics. I've played through it a couple times. Uh, one of my favorite Final Fantasies for sure. But let's get into story and character. So we talked a, a bit on Squall earlier. I kind of mentioned why I think he is a very strong character because we get all that layer of development. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that kind of personality translates to every player. Right. Um, so more thoughts on Squall, and then I wonder if you could give some thoughts on the playable characters. Um, I don't really have too many more thoughts on Squall. I think I've I've kind of exhausted why I like his character. Um, I will say that I wish that he had gotten with Quistus, or at least that that was an option in the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, sort of. You want me to do a rundown because I have some written notes here that I that I sure. have on the characters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Zell, uh, he is the annoying best friend. Mm. <laughs> Selfie, mostly forgettable and highly annoying. Quistus <laughs> yeah. uh, is hot for teacher. Um, Irving is the cool guy pervert. Yeah. yeah. And Renoa is the blah love interest. Yes. So I mostly agree with with all that. Uh, it seems like you can, you can kind of boil this this down to that. I mean, these are JRPG characters. If you're gonna be influenced, this is my hot take for the episode. If you're gonna be influenced by anime, anime has like caricatures for character characters a lot of the time. Yeah, which okay. So I didn't even mention Laguna Ward and Kuros. I think those that trio. Um, is like the most offensive anime tropes in the entire game. <laughs> but some of the best characters. Um, so, yeah. Um, now, so it's interesting that we have Squall and Laguna in, in this. Um, actually, before I get into that, I do want to touch again on, on some of the, the main playable characters. Sure. Um, I suppose I should have dropped Cypher in here. Uh, he's not really playable. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not a moment when he's on your team or something like that. I can't remember. He is I mean, in the in the first uh, in the first mission that you have. Right, that's right. Going up to the tower, but um, yeah, I mean, I think you use him for like four or five battles, and that's it. And then yeah, you can never control him again in the rest of the game. So yeah, and he definitely plays the. It seems like a lot of Final Fantasies do this, where he definitely plays sort of like the personal antagonist, and then yeah. there's a, there's like a distant antagonist. Um, I can't. I know there's a term for that, but I can't think of it. The uh, foil. The foil. Ooh, that's probably it. I don't know. Can't. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's gone. <laughs> but uh, I am with you. I wish that there had been. Sort of like what is present in like the first half of seven to bring up seven again, that uh, there's sort of like this tension between Aerith and, and Tifa. I wish that there was a little more of that between Renoa and Quistus. Uh, Renoa is a character that I don't have the virtually have like no feelings for um, at all. Uh, there are some people who do, and that's great. Uh, but Quistus is one of those, I was, I'm in the Quistus team where, like, as yeah. soon as Quistus appeared, I was like, oh, yeah, I like that character. Yeah. And I'm like a teenager when I played this anyway. So, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, so, when I was in 10th grade, um, so this game was still relevant to my life, um, I had an English teacher, and her name was um, 
Miss Ryan. So Miss Ryan, if you're if you're listening to this, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, she was totally um, very thin, blonde, uh, and very much like Quistus. So um, wow, yeah. So you had a real life Quistus. Kind of. I mean, she didn't fight alongside me in taking down evil sorceresses, but um, <laughs> yeah, she was a good English teacher. So she didn't have a whip or anything. She didn't teach with like a whip in English. No, no. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I totally missed the the BDSM uh, stuff going on there. <laughs> and thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, no problem. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm always here to remind people about how strange Final Fantasy characters are. Uh, but anyway, I wanted to get to uh, to um, Laguna and Squall. Uh, so one of the things that I really appreciated more this time around. Uh, that I played the remake or the remaster rather, and that was at the start of this year, um, was the difference between Squall and Laguna as characters. Uh, Laguna seems like the opposite of Squall in a lot of ways. Um, I think it's pretty pretty obvious that Laguna is um, Squall's father uh, through Rain. I didn't like playing it. I was like, yeah, that's like super implied. Uh, it seemed like to a couple people, it was on the level of fan theory. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that it is cause it's never explicitly given to you yeah. and there, and there is a lot of stuff that is explicitly, um, handed to you in, in the story. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's some debate there. I think you could say that he's not, uh, his son. Really? So what would be like what would be like the reasoning behind like Squall potentially not being uh Laguna's son? Um specifically the um the fact that um Alone has never seen with child Squall ever in the game. So you I think it's the second or third maybe it's the third Laguna sequence that you have where you go back to the village and he's uh, retired as a soldier and he's um, defending the village cause he has no other job. Um, and alone is there and there's no mention of squall. They would have been around the same age. Um, would have been around the same age. I was interpreted as alone was uh, older, but are there ages stated in the game? I guess that would, that would kind of be the nail in the coffin. Why? Well, I, I guess I would, it is open. Yeah, I would have to go back. I don't know how old Alone is, to be honest with you. Huh. Um, well, I know, I know that in <laughs> in the in the the main uh, timeline. Uh, so for you as the player character with uh, Squall, Cell, uh, Selfie, all those characters, they're sixteen or seventeen. Okay, so doing just a quick search online, yeah, Squall is seventeen, uh, and that's the typical grpg age you're like i'm a man i'm gonna save the yeah. the world i'm 17 yeah <laughs> like a disney princess age right <laughs> uh, that's what a final oh, fantasy characters are we just we just, we just made a deeper connection uh to kingdom hearts than i ever expected this evening <laughs> uh this says that um this is from the final fantasy wiki which we all know is a uh, a reputable and completely objective yeah. Uh, source. <laughs> uh, it says her exact age is not given in the game. Um, there's a statement here, but judging by the flashbacks, she should be around five to four to five years older than Squall. Okay, so, so yeah, I around the around the same age. 
around the same age. But that is an interesting thing that I didn't think about is that you never see the two of them together as kids. What I interpreted it this time around is when that sequence ends where Laguna is guarding the village, I assumed that before Rain died there was some, you know, a little bit of intercourse. And uh, and that's how we got uh, Bib Squall. But okay. a lot of that is, is off screen. I mean, Laguna and Squall themselves don't even appear together in the same scene until, like, late game. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe we can ask the listeners... Uh to f- see if they know how old alone is in that, uh, in the, in that village sequence in that past sequence that you play as Laguna. Cause Most if definitely. she's, cause if she's four or five years old, uh, well, I guess she would have to be four. If she was four years old in that sequence, then yes, uh, squall could potentially be her brother. Hmm. So, uh, well, we'll just have to leave that open. I now I kind of want to see like how many people think, he is uh, Laguna's son and isn't. Maybe we'll put out a poll and yeah. uh, we'll get some people's thoughts. It'll be interesting. Because, uh, again, I walked away from the game and be like, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> that's usually how I handle most things. Uh, so it would be interesting to just, yeah, hear people's thoughts on that. Um, there is kind of a question based on that. What do you think about the dual narrative of Final Fantasy VIII in the case of Squall and Laguna? Uh, that's from Eros Elric. And yeah, I think it's one of the great things about this game. I think that it's great that you kind of have uh, two mainish characters. Laguna kind of has his own thing, his own plot thread. Uh, but I like that they they have a lot of different dynamics to them as characters. Yeah, I mean both both characters are are diametrically opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Laguna is very outgoing and boisterous and. Squall is very introverted. Um, I think this is the only Final Fantasy game that does this, where you switch between characters at different times, right? Uh, so there is, uh, so like in nine, you jump. There's there's portions where the party will split, and you'll jump between Dagger and uh, and Zidane. Um, but it's not like this where that you have two kind of like parallel stories right. separated by. Yeah. Time. I, I meant like two timelines are going on. Like you're in the, the present and the past or the, yeah. 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 I can't think of another final fantasy that does this. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, originally I didn't like Laguna. I thought he was way too goofy, but, um, <laughs> yeah. the more you play the game, the more he becomes uh, a very enduring character. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, Laguna, it's funny because, again, Squall resonated with you so strongly. Uh, Laguna, from the get-go, I was like, I love this guy. I wish <laughs> I could play as him more often. Uh, I just loved how he was kind of like, yeah, this this goofball of the character. Um, and in the end, they, 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 they pull more out of him. But I think that's a great thing about 8 in that it doesn't all just hang on Squall. Uh, you do have Laguna uh, and his kind of parallel story to explore yeah well i would say um sort of uh to go off of what you're talking about um thematically the the galbadia army and the war that um laguna kiros and war uh, ward are involved in is almost more interesting in terms of the lore than what's going on with the uh, balam garden being the the mercenaries or like the sort of, I guess, the, the United States uh, analog, you know, the, the mm-hmm. police and protectors of the world. 
there's some uh, there's some dark themes. Just to mention that, yeah. In, uh, in Final Fantasy VIII, I you know you play it as a teenager. Yeah, well, of course they're they're seventeen and they're just gonna go out and like stop other nations from doing things that their their principal doesn't want to have done or is getting paid to fix. Uh, but as an adult playing it just recently, I was like, man, these are kids. What are yes. you doing? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, kid mercenaries and and orphans. Yeah, and wiping their memories and yeah, all kinds of yeah, all <laughs> kinds of really dark themes in this story uh, that I was just kind of blown away. Um, but I think that's that's a again very much a JRPG thing. You got you got these kids doing uh, intense, amazing. Uh, and don't it's, sometimes. yeah, it's funny that I just casually mentioned, Oh, they, they all have amnesia. Like we we're just accept this, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so villains, uh, villains. So for a long time, uh, sorceress Edia or Adia or however you say it, how do you say it? Adia. I, I say it, Adia. Adia, um, is sort of like this primary villain for a long time. And again, you've got uh, Cypher is like this closer personal villain, this rival character. Uh, man, I hated him as much as I hated Gary in uh, the Pokemon uh, animated <laughs> series. I I, like, before you mentioned Pokemon, I was like, Gary, is he, yeah. is he talking about Pokemon? <laughs> We're so much alike, even though you're Spall <laughs> and I'm Laguna. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, Cypher, yeah, I you hate his guts from that first cutscene. You're like, what a what a punk. Um, he he really is. Yeah, he really is. And they never, well, I'm trying to remember exactly. Seems like they never really redeem his character. Um, they they kind of do. Uh-huh. Um, do they at the end? I'm trying to remember. Well, he's he's one of the orphans. Right, right, right. So to to that end, he's just as much of a puppet as you are. Yeah. In, the, in the whole grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, yeah, they, they kind of redeem his character. It's, it's almost a shame that they don't do the, um, you know, they don't take it to the, like the, the Cecil or Cecil level and totally yeah. transform his character of like redemption level. Yeah. Cause Art. that yeah, would have yeah. been, that would have been interesting. It would have because he's such a horrible character for so long. I mean, yes. you hate him for so long. And to see that reversal, it seems like they kind of got that out of their system with Kuja in, in nine. Yeah. Um, probably shouldn't have said that. Hey, spoilers for final fantasy nine. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> been out for 20 years, but, uh, yeah, this is something. Uh, anyways, I'm digging my grave here. Uh, but coming towards the end of the game, you discover that sort of the, the main, uh, antagonist, uh, is, uh, Ultima Sia, who, uh, I think is a fantastic villain, but we just don't get enough of her in this game. Uh, it's so close to the end. It's like the Sauron to the Sora man, right? Uh, yeah. If we only learned about Sauron in like the last quarter of the return of the King. Okay. I I'd say that's an apt, uh, comparison. I playing it. I always thought that the, it wasn't so much individual sorceresses as it as it was a um, an and like an evil energy, right? Um, I don't know Very much a it. Sauron kind of a thing, right? Yeah, because well, uh, I guess more spoilers. Uh, although you've already told people that they're spoilers for eight, uh, <laughs> Renoa becomes uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Um, possessed, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
by sort of the the sorceress uh, spirit, and we find out that she is like the next in line to ascend uh, to become an evil sorceress, which is kind of interesting because she's one of the most um, pure characters in in the game. Um, and I think that's why I, I sort of put her as the blah love interest because she is just kind of the peppy, uh, pure, um, trying to save the world type character, you know? Hmm. Uh, I think that is one of the cool things um, later on way in, in towards the end of the game that you start to have this uh, this element of, of Renoa being in the succession of the witches. And um, what was the name of the the other sorceress, the big one. It was a sorceress Adele. I wanted to say Adele, um, but that sounds too much like the singer. So I wasn't sure if that was. <laughs> <laughs> You're just saying, ah, from the other side. <laughs> Every time you hear sorceress Adele. Uh, but um, I, I do, I do like that. Yeah. It plays around with a lot of the, this collection of, of evil um, people that are sort of tied together. The idea of Ultimacia as this uh, this evil sorceress that exists outside of time and is trying to condense time uh, into you know just this place where nonsense. <laughs> it's one of those like pure Final Fantasy things where like okay, what you know like in Final Fantasy VI when uh, when Kefka oh gosh spoils her Final Fantasy VI when <laughs> when Kefka. <laughs> Uh, is like I'll build a monument to non-existence. You're like, yeah, but wait, what are you doing? Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's wonderfully it's like it's comic book level villain stuff, you know. Um, that you just the the idea of it is so unique and so baffling. Uh, so I love that about Ultimacia, but I I just wish there was more of her in the game. The the thing that I do like is that the, her castle is fantastic. I love the castle track. Um, I love wandering around that that crazy castle. I think it's just great. Yeah, that's um, what is that? The lunatic Pandora? Uh, no. So that was the tower, right? Uh, Ultimacia's castle is like that that um, the pendant thing that that's like jumbled. Hanging in space. Well, it looked like a medieval castle was just like hodgepodge together almost. Like it well, had thought, like okay. MC so Escher esque lines. Here is where this story just goes completely off the rails. So <laughs> you go into space, right? Um, and then you find Ultimisia locked in this chamber. And the whole idea is to get Renoa trapped in there because the, the evil sorcerer's powers will take over at some point and she's going to you know, destroy the world. So she has to be locked into that thing. But then the, um, the blood tear from the moon hits the, um, the thing that, that Ultimacy is locked into and it, and it pours down to the lunatic Pandora. Yeah. And then there's like a shattering of reality. And then what, where you face Ultimacia is some like extra dimension. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, there's so much that's en that's backloaded as far as like, okay, now I have to learn about this thing on the moon. Now I have to learn about like there, all this stuff that's that's so much, so so close to the end of the game. You almost wish, like, I find myself wishing it was longer, just so they had time to explore all these other things. I'm like, well, okay, what is Lunatic Pandora? What is Ultimacia? What is right. you know the time crunch? What is the the blood? thing on the moon all these things uh 
and it, it can yeah it does get a little confusing i think that nine does this as well yeah and it's one it, of it my totally major does. criticisms with nine is that nine is like okay you got this planet and this planet are gonna smash together and then we're gonna suck all the souls and stick <laughs> them in these people and then we're gonna have this and that and like this i don't even understand like this whole this whole game has been about like fantasy politics and now you want me to like start thinking about <laughs> like planets smashing in other dimensions and souls and clones and all these things. Right. Uh, so it yeah, Final Fantasy games can get a little intense toward the end and I think 8 and 9 are are examples of that. I I almost feel like they uh they do it on purpose just to <laughs> All right, we're at the end of the game. We need a none, climax. Yeah, none of this stuff has to make sense. Like, just just overload you so that you're like, "Wow, what just <laughs> happened?" And as a kid, it was it was it was mind blowing, right? I mean, you're right. Confused. Yeah, you're just along for the ride. You're just, <laughs> but you're like, "Oh, this is where mist comes from." Wow. And then look at this. They got like this other planet. Oh, yeah, and just go on and on and on. And then it's it's funny. You're like, okay, I have a cowboy with like a shotgun. Right. I, or in, or in 9 you're like, "Okay, I have a knight in rusty armor." Yeah. Like then it's just got like galactic. What, what is going on? Yeah. So, we didn't even really talk about Irving the sharpshooter all that much. Nah, he's mm, let me see here. Uh he might be my least favorite character even behind Selfie. Okay. Uh I don't know. Irvine's just one of those like, "Will you stop trying to get with everybody?" Uh, <laughs> well, no, so yeah, I was so I, 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 I identified so closely with Squall that I was almost um, like threatened by Irving <laughs> that I had to keep him in the party outside of Quistus and Renoa. I'm like, you can you can be creepy with Selfie. I don't really care about her. So you, Selfie and, and Zell, because I think Zell's annoying. You guys can be in one party, and I'm going to be in the party with Renoa and Quistus. And I'm oh, gonna yeah. hope, and I'm gonna hope that Renoa doesn't die like they did with uh, Aerith. Oh yeah, spoilers for seven. Spoilers for seven. <laughs> hey, but you know what? I'm gonna like <laughs> I'm gonna put. By the way, we're spoiling the PS1 trilogy. Right, Just all of it. All of it's going down. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, my kind of shame on you guys if you haven't played these yet. Come on, they're Final Fantasy greatest, best-selling RPG series ever. Anyways, uh, I did the same thing. My party was Squall, Renoa, Quistus. Without a doubt, and because you could just switch switch around GFs and uh, and magic, it remained uh, Renoa and Quistus, unless I had to switch. And if I had to switch, then it was Zell, Selfie, and Irvine. Yeah. Okay. So we're yeah completely on the same page there. Here's a question. This is from One Week Rewind, who said, "Great topic. Surprised the heck out of me when the main party were all knocked out." And the dream sequences with Laguna and Co. started. On that, whose love story was best? Laguna and Rain? Squall and Renoa? Zell and Hot Dogs? <laughs> <laughs> that is a um, great comment. Zell and Hot Dogs? No. Uh, <laughs> he I, chokes up at the end, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm going say, to say Laguna and Rain. Yeah. It's a sweet, that's a sweet one, especially with uh, the loss of Rain. Yeah. Too. Yeah. It's it's one of those yeah bitter and bittersweet. Um, 
I feel like I got more out of the Squall Renoa relationship this time around and kind of understood, okay, Squall is saying, I'm going to stop being the way I am. I'm going to decide what I want and I'm going to pursue that. Um, and I was like, that's great. Um, but yeah, I still think Laguna and Rain is, uh, is a great love story. You know, I... and it's all a better love story than Twilight. So even <laughs> Zell and hot dogs, even. I I would say the reason I don't like the Squall and Renoa uh, love story is because she does not even know him and just runs up to him at the dance and is like, you're the hottest guy here. Let's go dance. And then <laughs> I, I don't know. That just, I don't know. That bothers me. Like they don't have a moment before that. She just decides right then and there. And it just carries through the whole game. Like there's really no reason for her to be as uh, enthralled or, or as, um, you know, taken back by Squall as she is, but she is. Um, I mean, look at him though. He's got the scar even. <laughs> he definitely was the, the best looking guy there. I'll tell you that. Uh, but in all seriousness, <laughs> maybe there's some subconscious connection there. Oh no. Cause they weren't, she was not an orphan, right? Um, I'm I don't what? think she was. I don't. I don't know. Oh, that's that's bad. I should know this. Um, okay, hang on. Let me look it up so we don't look like idiots. I think <laughs> I think she is a, an or, one of the orphans. Um, but yeah, I guess the connection makes sense because Renoa is next in line to be a sorceress, and um, Elone has tapped Squall because of his cosmic connection to Laguna. Um, I don't know. I guess it, I guess it does kind of make sense, but in a really weird way. Okay. So this says among the, the orphans, among the orphans were Squall, Zell, Quistus, Irvine, Selfie, Cypher, and Alone. Uh, so it looks like Renoa was not, I think I remember at one point in the game too, there's some fans listening. They're like, you sound like a stupid. Uh, Yeah, no, I get it. Okay. We can't remember everything. Uh, but I think there's one point in the game where they say, um, Renoa wouldn't remember this place cause she wasn't here or something like that. Uh, yeah. Now that you mentioned that. Yeah. That does actually make a lot of sense. Yeah. It, uh, then I, I had to, I have to abandon my whole subconscious comment about, uh, her being connected to Squall. So I don't know. Yeah. There you are. Okay. Music, music, adventure rules said, what is your favorite track from this game, and why is it "Man with a Machine Gun"? In all seriousness, in all seriousness, though, I think Eight's soundtrack has some overlooked gems, so that might be fun to discuss. <laughs> Indeed, it is uh, because everyone, and I mean everyone, mentions that "Man with a Machine Gun" is the best song on the soundtrack. It is so good. I mean, I will put it on like after dinner and just like dance around the house like a crazy person with my son. It is so fantastic, but it's definitely not like the only good song <laughs> on this track, on this soundtrack for sure. Yeah. So the, the one that I wanted to highlight, it's called the spy. Um, I'm almost positive, maybe like 95, 98% that it, that it appears the first time you hear it is during one of the Laguna sequences, but okay. it is, uh, a beautiful blend of 70s porno and smooth jazz, which arguably <laughs> okay. could be the same thing, right? Based on that description, is it that song that goes, bandit, 
No, that's uh, that's the the song that you hear in the Galbadia Hotel when you first meet Rain, right? Do you know the name of that one? Because I don't. Um, yeah, I don't know the name of that one. But uh, I think uh, if I had to pick my favorite non-Man with a Machine Gun track on this, um, it would be either The Castle or Find Your Way. Uh, okay. Find Your Way is fantastic. That's good. I like uh, Blue Sky. Blue Sky is the the one where you're in Ragnarok and you're flying around the world map. Uh-huh. Yeah. That one's a good one. Um, I liked Lunatic Pandora, Fisherman Horizon, Breezy. Um, Blue Fields is good. Blue, yeah, Blue, is well, Blue good. Fields, you hear that. the like, You can't get that song out of your head. Um, no, no, no. And jumping back, just to do my own self-correction, um, I said that the the song that you mentioned, that man out, man out, that one uh, that plays at the Galbadia Hotel, it's not Rain that you meet; it's Julia. Right, so right, right. So just just so nobody has to shoot me nasty <laughs> tweets about that. Man, and that's one of the the sort of like sad elements about uh, Laguna too. I was always bummed. That he didn't hook up with with Julia, yeah, <laughs> uh, and you're just kind of like, man, what a loser. <laughs> That's how I felt. Although <laughs> I mean, it again, realistically, like Julia and Rain are are practically the same character. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, we don't even know that much about about Julia at all. But it's one of those like young loves that just was not meant to be kind of a yeah. thing. Yeah, and yeah, and that's why I say that he's. Well, Laguna Ward and and Kiros are the the sort of the most offensive Japanese or anime tropes, um, because you know Laguna's like, oh, my stomach hurts. I can't talk to the pretty yeah. girl. <laughs> my leg, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so soundtrack though, okay, uh, and definitely we can agree to that. Uh, what is it, Lib- oh, Liberty Fatale or Liberty yeah. Fatale? Yeah. Uh, is is fantastic. I remember when I first turned this game on, I was just like, wow. Yeah. Well, that, that opening sequence, like, this was the era when uh, Square... Like, I I got a demo copy of um, uh, Maya, the 3D software, because I had read in an issue of Game Developer Magazine that Square used Maya for all of the... Um, the the CG sequences in Final Fantasy eight and nine, hmm. and I was like, oh, I have to learn how to use this software because I need to be able to make stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, like, yeah, pairing pairing the music with that intro sequence, um, it's I still get a little bit of chills. Like, I'll watch that every now and then. I'll just put it up and oh, yeah. you know marvel at it. You don't watch it to like an Evanescence track. <laughs> <laughs> the anime music videos from back in the day. I'm glad you exist. laughed at that because I went out on a limb. Then <laughs> I knew what AMVs were. Of course I do. <laughs> okay. <Whew. laughs> I was talking to somebody and uh, we were at, we were talking about the soundtrack and um, shoot, I, this is gonna come back and bite me. I bet. But I'm gonna. Say <laughs> it anyway. uh, I was talking to somebody. And we we're talking about this soundtrack and they were like, "Yeah, my favorite track is that." Uh, that one that Evanescence sings. And for the life of me, I was like, what oh, my gosh, is, is there a song on here that was sung by Evanescence? 
And every time I looked it up, it was just it was one of those old videos that oh somebody God. somebody made like in their garage, and I was like, I think that that's not a thing. So, wow. Um, so they were just on Kazaa late one night and just downloading these videos, and was like, that has to be from this. That's a part of like, pretty sure that's eyes on me. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, another one I really like is the Balam Garden uh song i think it's just so beautifully elegant i agree yeah now there's there's a lot oh go ahead there's a lot of tracks on this soundtrack in general like i want to say it's what 30 tracks total oh man it's a lot so i'm looking at it here it's the track listing for the final fantasy 8 original soundtrack is four discs 22 uh, it may be close to 50. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of tracks on here. Uh, but what were you going to say, though? Well, it's so long that, um, like, the more you listen to it, especially, it, like, I don't know. I never owned these soundtracks uh, mm-hmm. when I was a kid. So um, I always wanted to. I always, like, remember, you know, um, I'm trying to think there was a, there was a magazine that I used to, to get, um, that had this kind of stuff in it. Um, you could order them, but they were like hella expensive. Um, they were like, you know, $60 or whatever. Cause you had to order them from Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could never own them. Um, but I played the game so much that like when, uh, square released all of the final fantasy soundtracks on Spotify, I was like, oh, I'm going to go back and listen to all these. And I think it was right around the same time that I wrote the article for your site, um, you know, talking about how, um, and I think it was Final Fantasy VIII soundtrack that sort of inspired me to write that uh, article was, um, you know, just listening to it and thinking about how this is, it's a classic, it's a classical music, right? And mm-hmm. um, I'm sort of ranting right now, but um, to get back to what I was initially saying was, they're so long, but um, if you sit down and listen to the soundtrack, you can piece out certain times when uh, you were in that particular part of the game, or you remember certain character sequences, or you know things like that. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the lovely things I think about Uematsu's work is he ties uh, tracks so specifically to characters and settings and scenes yeah. that it's not like you listen to some. Uh, game soundtracks where there's not so much music so a lot of the music is recycled in the game uh, or a lot of the music sounds the same and while I think overall the Final Fantasy 8 soundtrack has this again this kind of um, almost like nightclub uh, sophistication to it um, like classy nightclub not like a Friday night nightclub <laughs> uh, but it has like and again a lot of classical influences like we know Uematsu is influenced with um but that it just has a really strong flavor to the whole soundtrack but at the same time there are some tracks with which vary different differently very differently between each other uh in tonality and and execution um you know i mean you're talking about like one again why i love the castle so much is the castle reminds me of dancing mad uh the castle like goes everywhere and i just love that kind of stuff yeah, totally. I, yeah, I agree. Okay, so this is a question here from Duct Tape Plays, 
who said, I personally didn't care for 8 that much. Squall is just not a compelling character, and it saddens me. And again, that I think is the the difference between, uh, you know, he strongly resonates or it doesn't. And he right. says he loves Laguna, though. So how do you feel about the junction and draw systems? Draw kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, try Kind of in, in the same vein as that uh, from Mr. Thou. Who said, I loved this game as a teenager, but over the past 15 years, I've tried playing it half a dozen times and just couldn't get into it again. Does this happen to you? Maybe it's because I hate the insane draw grinding and I always find myself or I always find myself doing. I still love Quistus, though. Smiling face (laughs) with three hearts. (laughs) Um, So the draw system, Uh, you know, we talked about the characters, talked a little bit about the story and the music and all those lovely things. Um, but how do you feel about the draw system? I think that uh, the idea behind it is really intriguing. And for what it's worth, it does function fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to take that magic and then junction it, and then based on however many you have, junctioning it to your stats, uh, you know, it goes up or down based on that, I think is is really intriguing um in practice though like you sit around not really fighting any battles just drawing because there's not enough draw points Mm -hmm. in the game itself i think if there had been more draw points or if there was some type of um a way for you to um I don't know, like if if they were like more hidden and there was something that that pushed you towards like seeking them out, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't just about drawing the magic from monsters in battle, mm-hmm. um, and it was more connected to the world and exploring, it would have worked a, a lot better. Mm-hmm. So I I think I agree with that. I feel like the draw system impacted me less this time around because on the remaster you have that fast forward feature. So right. I just sat down and, you know, smashed the button for five minutes and, and got 99 bits of magic every time right. I encountered something new. But I I also feel that there's an element um, of the draw system that ties in with the themes of the game. Um, the idea of, you know, the more you use the GFs, it erases your memories and the strength, uh, too much strength can weaken you. Like with Cypher, he, he gains so much power with the sorceress but it also kind of destroys him as a character right Um, and same thing with the draw system like you can accumulate a lot of magic and it makes you stronger but on a mechanical level like i never use the magic that i have junctioned because why would you right if you're literally using like your max hp at that point you know or your defense or or whatever yeah well arguably do you ever use magic in the game i didn't um for the longest time I would so once I figured out like um I can remember the moment uh, that I realized what happened mm-hmm. um with the number of magics that you had um and the fact that it was finite mm-hmm. um and using magic in battle and then going back into the stat screen and being like oh my my HP went down a few points like I don't understand um and the moment that that light bulb went off I was like oh I'm just I'm gonna make sure that my the the options that I have available for all my characters do not include magic so that I never use it because uh this is directly tied to my stats. Um mm-hmm. so I mean that's kind of the way that I play it and um 
you do like so i guess this sort of leads into the gfs um Mm -hmm. and the guardian forces um and this is the other criticism i think that people have with regards to this game because with four with final fantasy four with final fantasy six and with final fantasy seven summons are this very unique uh event or at least they're special because they cost a lot of magic to to do. Um, they're sort of rare when you do do them because you save them for certain moments. Um, whereas in eight, you're just you're summoning freaking every other attack. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you have to in order to uh, in order to break the system enough that you can succeed in the boss battles. So it's very mundane during the times when you're fighting, you know, just the average uh, uh, enemies. But you have to use the GFs a lot because you can't use magic because it's junction to your stats. And the only way that you can up the uh, how fast a GF summons is to use them a lot. Um, and you need the GFs to summon fast for the boss battles because you need that damage uh, every turn, you know, and to happen very quickly so that you can summon them over and over again. And it's just, it's a, it's a crazy complex um, sort of um, rhythm that you fall into that I think turns a lot of people off. I enjoyed it because I like those animations, um, and it never really got boring to me to watch the animation over and over again. But I definitely understand where people are coming from when they're like, God, you can't even like it's not even like a long version and then a short version, which is what they did in nine to sort of right. mitigate, um, you know, the the tedium of, of having to summon you know, the Eidolons or whatever. So, yeah. So I kind of I mean, I kind of am in that camp of there's there's just not a lot of options for you in battle. I, I this time around, I tried to save like really good magic that I was like, okay, I'm going to use this as magic. Right. Um, but then the stat gains are always seem to be the more, the more useful. And you know, there's the connections between junctioning and the GF. So you get a new GF. You're like, well, I can do this. Of course I'm going to use the magic for that. Uh, but I love that how colorful and full of personality and well-designed uh, from a, from a character creation standpoint, uh, the GFs are, that yeah. they're so interesting um, and so fun to see, and the animations are so wonderful. Um, I did get tired of seeing the same animation over and over again this time <laughs> around and previously when I'd played it um, closer to its release. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's kind of it's, it's tough. It, I am glad that they experimented with it. And there's elements of the draw system that kind of remind me of like old school magic systems, like in Final Fantasy One, where you had to like purchase your magic, you know? Yeah, uh, and you only had so many charges. Right, uh, and some of that seems like they're trying to do that here, but I just don't think that it's it's one of the stronger things in the game. The GFs are wonderful and awesome, but. I'm not sure I, I know anybody who's just like, I love the draw system. Yeah, I guess, I, yeah, it goes back to what I was saying earlier where this is kind of uh, beautifully flawed uh, yeah. in a way. And I think that this is where, because it's so easy to, to game the system too. Mm-hmm. Like once you figure out that the the stuff that I need the GFs to learn is, how, is what 
uh, stats to allow me to junction magic to, right? Those mm-hmm. are the first things that you unlock, at least for me when yeah. I was playing. These are the first things that I unlock for every GF that I get yeah. is just the stat junctions. So once you get the stat junctions um, mm-hmm. unlocked, that your next uh, <laughs> your next task is making sure that these GFs level up uh, so that you can break down items and cards and such. Uh, to give you the strongest magic in the game. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's it's a breakable system. Uh, it's it's something that you can easily get really strong uh, if you know how it works. Pretty quickly uh, in the game, too. Yeah. I would say that by the yeah. middle of disc two, you're, you don't even have to grind anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this time around, I told myself I wouldn't break down any cards or items just to kind of see how that would impact the game. Okay. Uh, and I became a card hoarder and I was like, I need to get every <laughs> card in this game. Um, but before we get to the cards, the one thing that I, I want to mention that to me was more disappointing than the draw system. Cause again, this time I didn't mind the draw system too much cause fast forwarding, but the weapon upgrades were something that, um, that were more disappointing to me. Uh, it's difficult so I didn't use a guide, and I was just kind of going off of memory and in-game cues. Right. So I went for like a long period of time just without upgrading their weapons, um, and I just felt that was kind of boring. But there's, of course, a unique way, like with the magic, like with the GFs, there's a unique way in which the characters attain new weapons. Well, you have to um, get the weapons monthlies, right, in order to, to know what components you need? Yeah. 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 And yeah, without a guide, I was I was can't get them all. So. Yeah, those are well, and, and to get the either the components or the the best weapon for the game for Squall, you need to um, you need to be able to be good at triple triad, because yeah. I think you have to beat a certain character. I don't remember. I was never good at triple triad. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if you want to get into that a little bit. Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Triple Triad, so there's Triple Triad and there's Tetra Master, right? Yeah. Um, Tetra Master is the weaker game, in my view, um, okay. because of an extreme random element. But at the same time, it's some, it's some. I prefer Tetra Master because of that random element. It's not so black and white. Um, plus, I just love the, the look and the music of Tetra Master over the Shuffle Boogie and the, the, the oranges of... Uh, triple triad but all that said uh this time around on the remaster i told myself i'm not gonna miss any freaking cards this time around because <laughs> i've played the <laughs> game too many times missed too many dang cards and i wanted to have all the cards by the end of the game and so i did this time around the only guide that i followed was a non-spoiler guide to attain all of the cards uh in order as you're progressing through the game and so I got them all. I 100% of the card collection. And I was like, sweet. Uh, and then I could, you know, disassemble them however I wanted to. And for me, that was super enjoyable. I loved Triple Triad. But the thing that I dislike about Triple Triad is the dang regional rules. Yeah. Uh, if you accidentally, and I did this in maybe my second playthrough years ago, I accidentally passed random around the entire planet. Uh or has some such close to that. And I was just like, dang it. <laughs> I didn't know how to get rid of it at the time. Um, so this time around, I made sure, you know, it was just open. And uh, I don't think I added anything else. Uh, 
and there were still some hard ones like getting uh, i think his uh Adia's card and sid's card were pretty tough yeah um but getting all the cards were fun but you mentioned that you didn't uh get into triple tried too much no i never found that i was any good at it um i always find it frustrating because um i always enjoyed like magic the gathering and i i enjoyed playing that type of a card game uh-huh. um but the i always felt like every time that i got decent at it it was like oh i can lay this card here and haha i would always get bested by the cpu and it would just like lay some card down like why did you ha <laughs> oh, and it would just it would frustrate me more than anything so i i kind of ignored it um i tried to get good at it and i tried to um use guides to uh, get squalls like ultimate weapon and stuff but mm-hmm. i just never got there and uh i abandoned that uh well it, the one thing that's cool about triple triad versus tetra master is you're forced to play Tetra Master to progress the story in nine, uh, I don't think you're forced to play Triple Triad in order to progress the story in uh, you, in eight. Yeah, so, you can completely ignore Triple Triad. Yeah, um, and I just love about the the PS One trilogy. I love that it had these rich, uh, complex um, uh, side quests and and mini games on the side. So I loved that about this. But uh, I'm never gonna get all the cards ever again. I was like, I did it once. I'm done. <laughs> Uh, so let's see a couple of questions here about triple triad. Um, SMB flurry said triple triad. The card game within eight was a standout feature to me. It could be used to obtain rare cards, which could be refined into magic, which could be junction to completely break the early game. What are your thoughts on triple triad and games within games in general? Like I say, I love them. Uh, I love the chocobo breeding and chocobo racing in seven. I love triple triad. I love Tetra master, man. Bring back a card game for Final Fantasy 16. I will be there day <laughs> one for that. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm actually kind of curious, um, and I would love to talk to the developers at, at uh, CD Project Red and ask them if Final Fantasy was any influence on Gwent, because uh, I feel like that in the modern era is uh, sort of the equivalent to Triple Triad. Because I remember um, Play Online was like the square um online guide to i think it was nine it might have been eight too but um one of the games came with like log on to play online and like one of the first things that it that gave you was here's the first two chapters of the the game and here's how to play uh either it was either triple triad or tetra master um so i feel like square like really pushed that like um you know, this, this card game within a game type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm curious if if anybody knows whether or not CD Projekt Red was influenced at all by the Final Fantasy games uh, to put Gwent in Witcher 3. That would I'd be interested to know that. Yeah, it would be interesting to know. I think that um, Triple Triad and Tetra Master are some pretty hefty games within games um, with quite a lot of complexity to them. And we have seen a lot of games now that are they're basically just video game card games. Yeah. Uh, like I made the joke when we didn't know anything about what Death Stranding was going to be. <laughs> like, what if Death Stranding just turns out to be a card game? <laughs> I guess they're, I mean, they're making them. But uh, here's another question about the card game from Sanity Crypto. 
who said, I never beat this game because I kept getting stuck at certain points where I could only get specific cards for the card game. Should I go back and beat it without care of the cards, or do they have significant enough relevance that I should ensure I get rare cards? There is, like we said, there's no um, obstruction to actual progression unless you're holding yourself back to get a rare card. Um, there's no secret ending if you have all the cards. I think you get like a little golden star next to your card collection. Right. Uh, if you hit them all, it's like, wee. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> but again, and, you can get some, you know, some decent gear. Um, but yeah, you don't necessarily have to. No, as long as you're using the GFs, you don't even need Squall's uh, ultimate weapon. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> fluff. All right, we'll get into some final audience comments, questions here. And again, if you'd like to ask questions or share comments to appear on MageCast, if you're like, well, how the heck do all these cool people get to ask questions for this show? Well, what you got to do is go to the, my uh, Twitter profile, at the Well-Read Mage. Typically, I announce a new uh, episode and what we're going to talk about on a Monday or a Tuesday, sometimes a Wednesday. Uh, and that's when I'll put out the call for questions and comments. So it's always a mixed bag on what we're going to talk about. Some people seem to think this is a show where we only talk about RPGs. I guarantee you it's not. We do talk about a lot of RPGs, though. Uh, but anyways, you can see <laughs> what game we're going to talk about next time. Uh, and pop in if you've got a question or a comment. So... This is from Crits McCrits. What do you think of the feature that scales enemy levels with parties level? Well, first off, I love the Twitter handle. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. Uh, I I like uh, when the enemies scale with you, um, just because you don't really have to worry about grinding too much. Um, I mean, Skyrim is like that, uh, or all the Elder Scrolls games uh, are like that. Uh, Final Fantasy VIII is like that um yeah I, I don't mind it yeah i'm pretty indifferent to it either i don't i don't think it's terrible i don't think it's awesome i just think it's 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 neat to have in this game sure and uh next question solidarity steve you have the two tried and tested classics is squall dead no is laguna squall's dad yes uh he didn't say that i did that's an editorial <laughs> uh, in my opinion uh, would Sorceress Adele, it was Adele, would Sorceress Adele uh, make a more, have made a more interesting antagonist than Ultimacia? Uh, what the heck happened at the end? We're not going to cover that because uh, a lot happened at the end. Right. I talked about it earlier. Yeah. Um, finally, and this is this is great right here. We'll talk a, a tiny bit about this. We touched on it. Finally, is it moral that Sid and Adia basically turned a bunch of orphans into child soldiers and pumped them full of GF, which meant they basically forgot their lives prior to being turned into child soldiers. That's like Metal Gear Solid type stuff, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it is it is really dark. Um, yeah. Now, uh, if, you're, if you're the kind of guy, uh, and this is something that we talked about on another show I'm related with, um, Philosopher Raga, we talk about philosophy in games. If you're somebody who believes that the ends do justify the means, then, you know, in order to stop this time-crunching sorceress, you got to wipe kids' memories and turn them into child soldiers. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it still <laughs> remains immoral and unethical, definitely, I think, from my perspective of morality. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of hard to stomach. But, uh, hey, they saved the world in the end, so there's that. 
So running down the questions, you answered the first two. Is Squall dead? <laughs> I would say it doesn't matter with <laughs> everything else that's going on with time travel and, and going to alternate dimensions. And um, I think death is kind of relative. Uh, yeah. Is, and is, see, to me, that's kind of like one of those like, oh, the girls in neighbor, uh, my neighbor Totoro are dead. It's like this is like fan theory stuff that wouldn't affect anything. It'd still be the same story. Still be the same characters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> is Laguna Squall's dad? We went over that. Um, would Sorceress Adele make a more interesting protagonist or antagonist than Ultimacia? Um, I would say I don't think it really matters. I, I, going back to what I've said about how I feel like the sorceresses are just the um, this evil energy that flows through time. Uh, and like the sorceresses themselves are just sort of the, uh, the manifestation of that evil. Um, I, I think either makes a good antagonist. Um, yeah, we'll skip the end. I won't go into detail about that. And is it, is it moral, um, that they turned a bunch of child orphans into soldiers (laughs) and, and basically gave them this magic drug that makes them forget everything. Um, (laughs) Yeah, sure. You know, you're, you're trying to save the world. It's <laughs> the, the, the ends justify the means and uh, for the greater good, you know. Yeah, arming children to save the world is uh, is like terrorist level stuff. That's a uh, yeah. That's pretty hard for me to stomach. We'll have to leave that one there because that's as that's a heavy subject. Uh, here's games with coffee. What is the proper pronunciation of S E E capital D? Also, Spaceship Ragnarok was my favorite airship design out of all the games. Were you a fan of this modern look? Would this story be more recognized if there was more exposition into Ultimacia's character? So his final question there, that was kind of something that we we touched on earlier about, um, you know, I suggested that it would be definitely more interesting to kind of know more earlier about Ultimacia. Right. but how do you pronounce S E E capital D? It's seed because they are trained in gardens. Yeah, it's very. Uh, I think I think that's very apparent, right? Uh, whether you capitalize the the uh, the D or not, it, they're in a garden. School's called the garden. Yeah. They're seeds. Uh, that's that's the way it is. Um, I I kind of as a joke to myself tried to read it as C D. This time around, but I yeah. had friends that pronounced it like that, and it drove me really? nuts. Yes, I'm like Slap it's not. In the mouth. Yeah, it's that's not ridiculous. CD. Like, well, that's how it's spelled. I'm like, well, no, it's you're not clearly, how it's spelled. You're clearly it's not just following. A capital D. <laughs> yeah, you're clearly not following the story. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Spaceship Ragnarok. What do you think about Ragnarok? Very cool design. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, uh, I like the design. I think in the cutscenes more than on the world map. The world map is pretty. Uh, jumbly um okay but i like fair. the idea that it's a it's like this red dragon my question was what the heck is it you know like i played it this time around i was like i don't even know where this thing came from like it's just there all of a sudden uh did um, it come off the moon why did it come off the moon it was the if i'm not mistaken it was the ship that was used to uh lock uh ultimacia inside of the I don't even know what the hell it's called. Like the pendant looking thing that she's trapped in. Right. Like her, her restraining 
yeah, the cage, basically. The, the crypt or the whatever restraining you want to call it. object uh, yeah. prison. <laughs> um, uh, so I think. Well, yeah, if it was, I, I missed that. I'd have to go back through. I'm not entirely certain that that's the case, but if, if memory serves, um, that's that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, which I'll I'll take your word for it because I, I got nothing otherwise. Uh, here's a final final question. We kind of bookended this. Um, Blaze Knight at the beginning said, "Who killed the Final Fantasy VIII episode, and where can I find them?" <laughs> Here it is, the lost Final Fantasy VIII episode. But we're gonna bookend with Blaze Knight o o nine twenty three, who said, "Why do you think the Final Fantasy series as a whole and this game in particular tends to try to reinvent itself with new?" With each new iteration of the series, furthermore, is it an effective brand choice to always offer radically different experiences under the same banner? Your thoughts, Matt? It's um, that's a that's a, we could do a whole episode on just that. I know that's a doozy right there. <laughs> yeah, so sure. I have mixed feelings about it. I with the PlayStation One entries, I'm fine with it being reinvented every time. Um. I fell off of the series with 10. I didn't really particularly care for 10. I then beta tested 11. Um, Square sent me the hard drive and the and the network card for the, my PlayStation 2 so that I could jump on and do all that. Um, did not particularly care for 11 because it was an MMO. Um, 12, I haven't, I, did, I never played that until recently. Um, 13, I think is... Uh, probably the worst entry in the series. Um, 14 is another MMO. If you don't like MMOs, then you're probably not going to like that. It's a numbered entry and 15 is very divisive. Uh, cause they spent what? 12, 13 years developing it. And, um, yeah, a long time. It's still uh, maybe not quite finished. It's interesting when you talk about 15, just briefly. Oh, man, I can't get away from 15. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk about 15 and you like I played it when it launched and I was like, where's the story? Where's the story? Uh, most of it's running around doing bro stuff. And then all the story stuff is like linear locked at the at the end of it and you just i don't get background on characters or anything but then when i say that a lot of fans of 15 will say yeah but you got that in the dlc i was like yeah but if i didn't care about the characters the first time around why on earth would i buy the dlc to learn about them right right i you're asking me to pay an extra amount to learn about characters that I already spent like a hundred hours with catching frogs, uh, <laughs> and I don't. Yeah, they they're just there. They they might as well have been uh, cardboard cutouts because there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of background to them. Now, uh, coming back to this question though of the the reinventing itself, I, like I said earlier, I like that it has that freedom to do that. I like that it's not tied to um, sequels. There's obviously traits that all Final Fantasy games share in common, and there's right. a lot of tropes that they've developed over time um but here's uh, i think one way to kind of definitively approach answering the question of is it an effective brand choice again final fantasy is the best selling uh rpg series in existence uh it sells more than any other series that uh square enix is in charge of and that's pretty revealing uh you could say it's an effective brand choice in terms of its sales. It sells bomb diggity. Um, yeah. But 
is it an effective brand choice as far as people's personal tastes? That's a different question entirely. I would say yes. And um, I would say that because despite um, me not particularly caring for certain entries over the years, I continually come back to it because it does have the ability to reinvent itself. And it does have the promise that uh, the next game can be radically different than the the last one that I just played. Um, and so while you and I may be lukewarm uh, on 15, we're both excited to see and, and hear what 16 is going to be, you know? That's right. And I think that's a trait of longtime fans of the series because we've played more than just one. Uh, I know some folks who have played only one Final Fantasy and they walked away thinking like, I don't really like Final Fantasy games. Uh, but you kind of have to have the conversation of like, look, some of them are pretty different from each other, um, despite, again, sharing similarities. Some of them have some wide differences between each other. So, Yeah. Well, Matt, thanks for being on this show. Where can our listeners find you? Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad that we could finally do this. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Final Fantasy VIII, while it's a, a divisive game, um, it is one of my favorite entries in the series, and I'm glad that I could finally have somebody that uh, I could talk with in depth about the game. Uh, but if you, uh, dear listener would like to share your thoughts, uh, with me, you can always find me, uh, on Twitter at Burkhoff. Uh, that's B E R K O U G H. You can also follow me on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Burkhoff. You can, uh, read my short fiction at my website, uh, which is Burkhoff.com. And uh, you can always find me in the comments or curating content uh, for sifted.net, which is uh, a video game community, S-I-F-T-D.net. Awesome. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking with you. And uh, I'm glad that we finally got to this episode, uh, the lost Final Fantasy VIII episode. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he said uh, you you asked the listeners to reach out to you on Twitter. So I'm going to say... Given how divisive this game is, if this show was divisive, you can at this guy, okay? <laughs> um, I got enough Final Fantasy fans coming after me. Uh, but, man, it was great. I, I really want to have you on the show again another time. Thanks again for sharing your thoughts, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. This is my internal monologue. I'm glad everybody listened to the end. Let me remind you, listener, that MageCast is brought to you by the letter M and the number 1, and we are entirely a crowdfunded concept. If you're interested in helping support the show, check out the Patreon and or Ko-Fi links in the podcast description. And don't forget to check out my other podcast, Story Mode, which has a new episode every Friday. This episode may be over, but the legend will live on. Passed down by the dwarves, the elves, and the dragons. Hi, my name is Roger Reichert, host of the Dialogue Tree podcast, your source for interviews with creators within the video game industry. Join me as I interview people within the gaming industry and learn about their story and share those stories with you. New episodes will release every other Thursday on iTunes, Google Play, Buzzsprout, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us at GamerHeadsPodcast.com. That's the Dialogue Tree podcast now part of the Little Fella Media Podcast Network.